The Talking Points podcast is produced in partnership with C. Michael Gibson and clinicaltrialresults.org. Mike Gibson and Damian Collison coming to you virtually from TCT 2020, and we're talking today about the target FFR study. Damian, tell us a little bit about why you did this study and what you found. Thanks, Mike. Well, essentially, we realized that uh, on registry data over the last 20 years, there seems to be quite a number of patients out there with functionally suboptimal PCI results. And uh, we were really interested in getting some randomized prospective data on the incidence of that and also assessing a strategy to see if we could improve on it. So uh, the target FFR trial uh, randomized 260 patients at our institution to either a blinded control group, which was uh, standard angiographic, standard of care PCI, uh, followed by blinded control measurements, to, and the second group, of course, our intervention group was our optimization strategy. Uh, and that was 131 patients. And we essentially, guided by FFR pullback assessment, tried to identify targets for further intervention slash optimization measures that could improve the final FFR value for these patients. So our um, primary outcome for the study was the proportion of patients who at the close of play had a final post-PCI FFR greater than or equal to 0 0.90. A key secondary outpoint for our outcome uh, for us then was the proportion of patients with uh, final FFR that still remained or persisted below the uh, revascularization threshold of 0.80. So the first um, arm of the study, our first uh, goal was really to establish those proportions with randomized data. Uh, and what we found was that just 32% of patients actually achieved this uh, lofty target of, of greater than 0.90. Perhaps more concerningly, though, was that almost 30% of patients had uh, persistently low values of FFR after PCI that remained below the threshold for which uh, we decided to put a stent in in the first place. So that was quite uh, sobering. And um, essentially taking that information then and, and focused on our intervention arm, we um, would disclose any suboptimal results, i.e. less than 0.9, to our operators and in conjunction with them through a careful assessment of the FFR pullback curves would identify was there anywhere we could uh, further intervene on. So the two main focus there or foci there were uh, number one, the stented segment, could it possibly be postulated or optimized any further to reduce the transdent gradient? And uh, secondly, of course, the, the real bang for the buck here would be uh, on a missed lesion, so a, a focal pressure drop outside the stented segment, which would benefit from further stenting. So uh, to sum up, I suppose, what did we find? Well, the um, intervention group had a 10% higher incidence of optimal post-PCI FFR than the control group, but with small numbers actually receiving the intervention in the end, just 40 of the 131 patients uh, deemed suitable for it, that didn't reach statistical significance. What was um, more significant and potentially more clinically relevant was that the optimization arm uh, had a reduced incidence of uh, truly suboptimal post-PCI FFR results or those that persistently, uh, persistently were below 0.80. And we found an 11% reduction in favor of the PIAS intervention, which was significant between groups. Where does this fit in with OCT and IVIS? I mean, um, you know, if you're using OCT in the majority of your cases, 
does this add value to it? I mean, you could make the stent look beautiful by OCT, but I guess you could still miss a proximal or distal lesion. Is that correct? Absolutely. Well, the thing is, depending on the length of your stented segment as well, it may look beautiful and be well opposed and, and have no under expansion, but it still generates a gradient in that artery. And that, uh, I suppose, traditionally, there's, there's a few schools of thought about doing FFR, and that is there are uh, physicians that would be happy if they were ever to check a post-PCI FFR to simply put the pressure sensor just outside the stent and maybe not into the distal vessel because they don't want to know. They're not, they have no plans to stent there. But even if it is just diffuse there, it does all contribute to the gradient in the vessel and potentially act as an explanation for why some patients unfortunately still persistently have angina a year after PCI is because though we have done our best with the focal disease and put in a well-optimized stent, that vessel is still a substrate for a reduced flow to the myocardium. But just help me understand, if you do have a well-opposed stent um, and, you know, no residual stenosis. Are there cases in that scenario where you'll still have an FFR that's abnormal? Absolutely. So it's, I suppose, conventional wisdom here has been that the only residual thing left behind is diffuse disease, but that's really not the case. And if, if we start to buy into that, then we circle back around to allowing the angiogram to be the gatekeeper for extra tests that we do. When a poor correlation between physiology and angiographic appearances. So I think possibly one of the take-home messages from um, Target FFR is that if you've used a pressure wire to decide on whether to place a stent in the first place, you've already bought and paid for it. It makes a lot of sense to check your work and make sure there's nothing you're leaving behind that you can't appreciate on the angiogram. But would there be anything to do if you don't find a proximal lesion or distal lesion and you still have an abnormal FFR, do you further upsize the stent? I mean, what is the approach at that point? So our, our strategy, the, the advice or the protocol direction in that was that if you had a hyperemic transtent gradient greater than 0.05 FFR units, that the operators would take a, a larger non-compliant balloon to higher pressure and see if they could further reduce that gradient within the stent. So it may well have been perfectly well opposed, but with the plaque burden there, the true vessel size or diameter may well have accommodated a bit more expansion from it. And we did see, I suppose, patients that purely received postulation certainly had more modest gains in FFR than those in whom you could uh, stent an additional lesion. But we did find uh, overall, and it was the largest um, group of patients of what was done in the optimization arm, but we did find there were gains, still gains to be had, uh, even where stents appeared to be well opposed and appropriately sized. There was uh, some further reductions in the gradient possible. And when you say size up a bit, you're talking about maybe a quarter millimeter, uh, you know, bigger than what you'd well, like. Actually, our, our mean, our, our mean uh, balloon sizing for the postulation balloon was about half a millimeter larger than the stent balloon diameter. And, half uh, a millimeter. Okay. All right. Well, you know, I, uh, I said it to Ajay yesterday. I kind of had that bank robber philosophy of get in, get out very quickly with direct stenting. And now all the young guys are, you know, I'm doing a lot more OCT. And uh, this sounds like another tool that we'll probably have to add to our toolbox. Well, thanks so much for sharing with us, Damien. Thanks. Pleasure. And thanks uh, for joining us here virtually from TCT 2020.